So have you ever had that experience driving home after work or from the beach or you're stuck in traffic and, and your mind starts to drift off and then, and then suddenly it's this weird like feeling, right? Suddenly you realize, whoa, I'm like 10 miles down the road, you know, and you're thinking, where the heck was Kalihi? Did I even go through town? I don't remember. Did you ever have that feeling, right? Yeah, a lot of you are saying, yeah. You know, some of us live a lot more than just a few minutes on the freeway that way on automatic pilot. We go through life not noticing or being attentive to, to a whole lot of deeper things that are going on in our journey throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our year. When we simply live in the routine of life or when we live out from the pain of life, we can really end up forgetting, forgetting that we are on, as Christians, we are on the greatest adventure for the greatest good with the almighty God. Amen? Amen. And, and if we're so distracted in automatic pilot, we, we can end up being blind and completely unaffected by the profound beauty and the many blessings that are constantly surrounding us and meeting us each day of our lives. Or perhaps worse, because we're not attentive, we end up choosing pathways that are, end up, that are actually destructive for our lives. It's, it's, it's amazing what we don't notice when we feel bored or when we feel overwhelmed or when we just feel distracted. When we live inattentive and distracted lives, think of what we miss. We miss small things that are so rich. We miss like the smile of a child, the opportunity to love on a stranger, the taste of really good food. We miss, we miss the joy of our own gifts or skills or abilities. And most importantly, we miss the opportunity to both experience and cooperate with God in the subtle but significant moments of each day. If I asked you tonight, did you experience a blessing from God today? Did you experience an invitation to cooperate with him today? Or maybe did you experience a rebuke from him today? What would your answer be? Just kind of a blank stare, a little drool coming out, you know? Or if I ask, in what particular ways? I want you to articulate what particular ways did your soul grow today? Did your mind grow today? Did your emotional world expand today? Did your relationships deepen today? In what way? And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, I didn't notice. Well, then this talk is for you. How many of you are sitting there going, I don't know, I didn't notice. My soul grew? My emotional world got better? I don't know. I didn't notice. As we head into Lent, I want to share a word or two, you'll hear more than one word, about this issue of awareness and responsiveness to God and also awareness and responsiveness to yourself. I titled the talk, God in All Things, because of the spiritual practice that I will introduce to you later. It's a practice that helps us become more aware of and responsive to God, not only in the big things, but in the nooks and crannies of our jam-packed days. That's what I want you to discover God and God's blessing uh, over the next 40 days. And I'm hoping that when Lent ends, that you too will be able to sing the lyrics of that song that George just sang. God in my resting, God in my working, in my thinking, in my speaking, God in my laughing, in my weeping, and even in my hurting, God. Now that's an ambitious goal to get at for one talk, okay? But we'll see what happens here. First of all, let me point something out that's really important. It's really important that we recognize that at all times, 
and in all circumstances, and this is not hyperbole, at all times and in all circumstances, God is providing opportunities for wholeness and healing and relationship and soulful growth throughout your day, throughout your day. And I want you to let something sink in right here and now. Right here and now, God is at work. And God is at work. As you sit here and look up at that screen and feel a little chilly in this room, God is at work drawing us into the fullness of life. Do you believe that tonight? Do you notice it? Have you noticed it yet? What may be distracting you from it, even as we sit in a church, we may be distracted from that reality. The problem of inattention and distractedness is not just the angst of we modern people who are filled with technology or that run around at a frenetic pace in our busy work days. This has dogged the followers of God for millennia. Passages encouraging self-awareness and God-awareness are strewn throughout the Bible. You know, you see them in the New Testament, especially in Proverbs or the Psalms. Just a little while ago, we had that beautiful... You're over there, right? Okay. That beautiful... These are only for this close. Sorry about that. But that was a beautiful reading. The beautiful reading of the scriptures there. It really helped me just kind of experience God. And I've read those verses. I've memorized those verses a gazillion times. When coming out of your voice, something different happened there. But we already saw in Psalm 139, which is filled with God-aware language. If I go to where the sun rises or to where it sets, you are there with me. Or your hand is always with me to guide me. You, you know, or, or in the New Testament, Paul in Romans chapter 8, he says, set, out, set your minds on what the Spirit desires. You know, he said, get your minds to be aware of God and what he's doing. Remember, he also teaches us uh, to, to keep in step with the Spirit. That's some pretty good God-aware and God-in-all-things kind of language in the Bible. But how about self-awareness? Does the Bible speak a lot of self-awareness? Well, look at Proverbs 14, verse 8. It says this. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but fools deceive themselves. Now, the, the, the word here, give thought, it's a very pregnant word. It's got a lot of meaning to this one little word here. But it means not only just to look closely at something, but to reflect on and process information so as to respond. There's a responsive mechanism, uh, uh, a connotation to this word. To reflect on process information so as to respond in an appropriate manner to what you're facing in life. That's all contained in one word in Hebrew of, of, of the idea of giving thought. In verse, uh, Proverbs 14, verse 15 says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man, a wise man, a discerning man, gives thoughts. Gives thoughts to his steps. Again, the same word is in verse 8. Again, it has a connotation of purposefulness, thoughtfulness, intentionality. It paints a picture of someone who's not simply kind of thrown about by, by circumstances or mood swings in their day, but he is living thoughtfully. He is living purposefully. He is living intentionally. Does that describe your life today with God? Similar to that, another verse from the psalm, Psalm 119, verse 59 says, I've pondered, I pondered the way I live, and I return to follow your laws. Now, this word pondered here not only means to think carefully, but it means to also weigh something in your mind, to, de 
to determine the value of something. So you picture this man who is looking deep into his life. He's looking deep into his actions and into his purpose. And you can almost hear the questions that's spinning around in the back of his mind. What is my life really about? What am I really doing with my life? I pondered the way I live. Do you ponder the way you live often? Have you ever met folks who never seem to ponder the way they live? Maybe you work with some of these folks. People who never ponder deeply about the persons they are, the persons they're becoming, or the person they are to other people. Ever been around folks who for decades never pondered how controlling they are? or how driven they are, or how angry they are, or how anxious they are, or how conflict avoidant they are. They've never pondered these things. And this lack of self-awareness can be catastrophic in our real world. Tim Irwin is a corporate psychologist, as well as a Christian, who has worked with all kinds of people. He's worked with professional athletes. He's worked with politicians, big-time CEOs from these big, huge corporations. And he wrote this book called Derailed. Five Lessons Learned from Catastrophic Failures of Leadership. Now, in his book, he argues that derailed leaders progress through five stages as they head towards their demise. But here's the interesting thing. The first stage towards derailment is all about awareness. Get off here and you're going in a real bad direction in a hurry. Specifically, the lack of self-awareness and other awareness. And I think because he's, wanting, he's writing a book to secular people and he wants to make a lot of money, he doesn't talk about God awareness, but I'm sure he believes it. But the lack of self-awareness and the lack of other awareness. In other words, these, these powerful, highly educated, highly trained people end up derailing their careers because they do not have a well-developed ability to know well their internal state to know well their motives, their thoughts, their feelings and emotions in which they live in through their days. And they also do not know well or have the good ability to monitor their own behavior with others. And they derail. Why do I point this out? Well, simply to show you that the Bible isn't simply about pie in the sky, religious rules and regulations or spiritual advice to live you know, irrelevant spiritual advice to live real life. It's by far relevant. When God guides us in the Proverbs or Psalms or in Romans to think deeply about, to ponder our ways, he's not doing this and advising us because, well, that's kind of a cool spiritual thing to do. No way. He, these texts are given in large part to describe what it takes, as I said before, to draw us up into the fullness of life in every aspect of your being so we don't get derailed. And to live into that fullness, even as a business person, not, not just a clergy person, but I'm talking about CEOs and business people, it is absolutely crucial to have thoughtful, truthful, deep reflection with God about our lives. But here's the thing. The fullness of life or that ability to live wisely as God intends won't naturally flow from us simply because we attend church or simply because we claim to be a Christian. As you've probably heard me say many, many times, godliness is not automatic or inevitable. It's intentional. Fullness of life isn't automatic or inevitable. It's intentional. And one reason why it's not automatic 
that, and I'm going to point, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously sin in our life doesn't make it easy and all that kind of stuff. But I want to point something else out here tonight that you want to consider. And that is our physiology. Let me briefly touch on something here that you want to keep in mind as you think about change over the next 40 days. I want to talk to you for a moment about your brain. Now, I hate to say this, but we are actually hardwired to give our unwise, our foolish, our reactive parts of our brain the upper hand in our actions. Even if you're Mother Teresa in rubber slippers, you have a lot going on physiologically that will challenge your goal to be attentive and responsive to God. What do I mean by that? Let me explain the brain a little bit. So on the one hand, thankfully, our brains can do all kinds of work for us without us even cognitively thinking about it. Okay? Most, of, most of us don't have to think about breathing. We don't have to think about making blood flow, flow through our veins. We don't have to think about digesting our food, etc., etc. Moreover, your brain loves shortcuts. Your brain is always taking shortcuts. It's cutting through all the data and stimuli coming at you every minute. If you had to process everything that came at your senses, you know, all the sights and sounds and smells and particles and all this kind of stuff, if your brain actually tried to pick all of that up all at once, you would be cognitively overwhelmed and completely paralyzed. You'd like just kind of go into this catatonic state because it's too much to take in. So your brain filters a lot of stuff, and it takes shortcuts. However, getting your mind, getting your mind to have consistent, healthy, and godly focus, or to have a Holy Spirit-directed Spirit attentiveness and responsiveness to what you're experiencing, that is not easily forged in our brain. Let me explain. You have three major parts of your brain. And those of you who are neurologists, I'm sure you might correct some of what I'm about to say here. But you have three major parts. You've got the lower brain stem. You've got the limbic system, which is in the middle of your head. And, and you also have the prefrontal cortex up in here. Okay? So the, real quick, the lower brain stem, that takes care of unconscious things. Breathing, heart rate, you know, that kind of a stuff. Now, the limbic system is interesting. This is our emotional and memory center. See, everything from fear to anger to ecstasy to joy to those cravings for chocolate cake, that's where they're located. They actually have a spot in your brain. It's right in the middle of that thing called the limbic system. You can think of that part of your brain as that fast reactionary part of your brain. You know, it's a, it's a sprinter. It's a quick guy. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm, I don't want to complain about it. It's a great to have a limbic system. Can you imagine going through life without feeling the ability to feel joy or love or passion or even sadness and fear? Life would be so bland. It would be so boring. It would actually be really dangerous if we didn't have that limbic system. Okay? Uh, you know, you got to think of it this way. We need a part of our brain to quickly respond to dangers and threats, don't we? So in many ways, the limbic system serves us well. It serves us well to have a quick-reacting brain. You know, people with quick reactions to threat and danger tend to live a little longer. Okay? So that's why God has it in there. That's really good stuff. But it's not always good stuff. And that's why we need the prefrontal cortex. See, the prefrontal cortex is the executive director of the brain there. Okay? It is the impulse control center, the emotional control management center. 
In other words, it puts the brakes on that fast firing of the limbic system that goes on in your head. And, 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 your, and, and your prefrontal cortex is a little slower. It's, it's deliberate. It's sophisticated. It's very key in our decision-making and very, and, and, and very important in the use of our sense of reason and logic, your prefrontal cortex there. But here's the bad news. We are biologically hardwired to give that limbic system, that reactional part of our brain, the upper hand. You see, the limbic system will always fire first. It will always be activated before the prefrontal prefrontal cortex kicks in. And sometimes the feelings of the limbic system are so strong that they just hijack the rest of your brain. Know people like that? A little uptight? Right? A little anxious? Or maybe when you're depressed, your depression is in there as well, and it just hijacks everything else. You can't hear joy. You can't hear encouragement. It's just hijacking your brain. So what does that mean on a practical level? Our impulse to react can easily override our intention to respond rightly to a person or an event or a situation, okay? Our our impulse to react, okay, can can easily override our best efforts to, 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 to think like God and respond well. For example... When you experience someone's criticism of you, which part of your brain gets first activated? The kind of logical one or the, what? What did you say to me? The punk from Jersey comes out, right? You talking to me? Right? That's what happens when we feel criticized. Criticism, but here's the thing about the limbic system. It doesn't doesn't, uh, uh, understand what's coming at it. It just feels this stuff. And so when criticism comes at your brain, it gets interpreted as, it gets experiences as threat. And so it activates your fight, flight, freeze mechanisms in in, in your body. So your first instinct from being criticized is likely to be to fire something out harsh or maybe even nasty from your limbic system. But you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. What happens to all those Christian values I, I hold so dearly in my life? Why don't they show up? Because when you feel threat, Sometimes it hijacks your Christian values and it doesn't give you time for, for your values to arise to the surface. So in a nutshell, we have really built in hardwired proclivities that make things like snap judgments or harsh words or impulsive acts a really easy step to take. Now this is why I think, now, and I'm really serious about that. This is why I think, at least in part, why you see all that guidance in Scripture to think, to ponder, to consider our ways. All that encouragement to weigh and reflect on and go deeper into our thoughts and our feelings. Because when we do that, it gives space and time between our limbic brain and our prefrontal cortex. It gives God space and time to influence our brain and thus our actions. See, you know, I don't think it's just a spiritual thing going on in Scripture. There's real physiology behind the wisdom of it all. In other words, it gives me a real shot at being able to see that God really is in every moment with me. See, when I pause and I ponder in a very prayerful way, I am giving God space and time and attentiveness, focus, to be changed by him. Maybe right there in the middle of all my limbic anger and frustration and busyness or whatever else that's overwhelming my brain. Let me give you an example from my own life. Not too long ago, I was in a meeting, and someone said something that triggered something in me. So what did I do? 
I expressed a very quick, sharp, limbic system remark. And here's the thing. It was toward one of the most caring people like you could ever meet. What the heck was that? So not too long after, we took a break from the meeting. But while I was in the break, I was attentive to what I was feeling and experiencing, what I had said. And I was asking God to help me to understand my feelings beneath my words. I felt bad about what I said, but I wanted to know, God, what is really going on? And what should I do about it? Well, in very little time, the wisdom came. When I paused and pondered, gave space, time, and attentiveness to God, he gave me wisdom. And so I went back to that person, and I apologized to that person, and I asked for their forgiveness. But that wasn't it. That wasn't the only thing. When we reconvened at the meeting, I apologized to the staff because, because they had to wear some of my limbic toxicity in the moment. So I had to apologize to them as well. Now, if I didn't give space, time, and attentiveness, what would have happened to that relationship? What would have happened to the trust of the group to me? Think about it. You see, by pausing and considering my ways with God and about what was really going on in my heart, trying to search my heart, as Psalm 139 says, and see things from his perspective, the value of what I truly held about that person was able to arise. The value of friendship, the value of humility, the value of integrity had the space and time to arise. And it arose without me gritting my teeth and like, okay, God, I guess I'll ask for forgiveness. You know, it, it didn't come out grudgingly. It came out gladly. I, I'm serious. Have you ever de done or, or seen something like that in your own self? Express yourself in ways that are absolutely contrary to your deepest values as a Christian. Yell at your kids right in front of everybody at a restaurant. Anybody been there? <laughs> Speak sarcastically to a colleague in a meeting. Verbally demean the spouse that you've committed your life to. Avoid conflict with people because you just can't stand the thought of somebody maybe not liking you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know those limbic feelings? I know you don't value rage. You don't value making cutting remarks. You certainly don't value demeaning people you love, and you don't value people-pleasing. Anybody value people-pleasing? Oh, I just value that. That's a real value of my life, people-pleasing. But why does it keep arising in your life? Something to really think about. Nobody values these things. But if we maintain the habit of flying right by these emotions in our day, if we don't pause at least on some part of our day to reflect back on, to consider, to ponder our thoughts, our feelings, and actions of the day, we will find it so difficult to live out in any consistent way the godly values that are really there in our hearts. They're really there. I know they're there. But we gotta, we got to give that some thought and reflection and opportunity to come to the fore. And if we don't, we perpetuate a cycle of so much unnecessary suffering. If tonight you're hearing me say, hey, you know, you should really give it a shot. Like, you know, try to spend time reflecting on your life deeply with God. You might like it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you don't do it, you don't do it to your own peril. This is serious stuff, important stuff, crucial stuff. So how do we contend with all this so that we do experience God at work in us, drawing us up into a fullness of life? Now, there's a myriad of ways. You know a lot of them. 
I'm just going to give you one that you may not be too familiar with. I want to introduce one spiritual exercise called the prayer of the examine, something you can do over the next 40 days. The prayer of the examine is, uh, uh, was developed by the founder of the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, a guy named Ignatius of Loyola from back in the 16th century. And from the beginning, Ignatius instructed those early Jesuits to go out and find God in all things. That's why it became the, the motto of these people. That expression, that goal, is really the signature spirituality of the Jesuit order, to find God in all things. I have periodically used this form of prayer for the last 20-some-odd years, but it's in the last four months, I decided to do it five times a week for four months now. And I'm telling you, there are so many changes I've noticed about myself. See, what the, the examine trains us. It trains our soul to recognize God's constant invitation. It draws us up into the fullness of life there. Um, and, and, and we recognize his invitation into the fullness of life, you know, as, as we're computer, doing computer programming or carpentry or making business deals or just making dinner. If we do this examine, you'll learn the habit in a trained mind and soul to see and notice the invitations. What we're actually trying to do, what are we actually trying to do as we do the examine prayer? Well, in a nutshell, I describe it like this. We're taking a gracious look with the Lord, a gracious look with the Lord at how we have responded to God's gifts and guidance throughout the day. Okay, a gracious look of how we responded to God. How do we cooperate with God in the day? In what ways did we resist God? In what ways did we ignore his gifts, his guidance? Now, you can do this at midday. You can do it right before you go to bed. I do it in the morning because if I review my day late at night, then I'm starting to think about all the work I have to do, so then I don't do it. I can't get to sleep. So I do it early in the morning when I first wake up. And after a while, it really creates this holy habit of seeking and appreciating the countless gifts of God. It also gives us an opportunity to recognize and apologize uh, for our faults and our failures. It also provides the opportunity to find healing for our hurts. And it really brings insight into what's going on beneath the surface of our words, of our thoughts, of our actions in the course of the day. And when that happens, that will lead us into deeper spiritual maturity. So in general, I'm going to describe this prayer to you, and then we're going to do it. So in general, there's five segments. Gratitude, asking for God's grace to see as he sees your day or sees you. Review of the day, which is the biggest part, asking for forgiveness, grace, and strength, and then looking at the day ahead. Let me really quickly describe these five uh, parts here. First, express gratitude. You start your time with God, giving thanks for, for, for any small thing that you can think of. Maybe the only good thing that you can feel gratitude for was that like, last-minute parking space you got at your office building just before you had to get to work. You know, Maybe that's it, but start with that gratitude. Or maybe thank him for the gifts that he gave you, which allowed your participation in the day. Now think about this for a second. Have you ever thanked God that for the gifts that allowed you to even participate in this day? Your intelligence. Did you thank him? Your strengths, your abilities, your skills to do your work well. Thank you, Lord. You made me a loud speaking person. Maybe you can give thanks for the friends or the coworkers or the, or the family that you have. Okay, so express gratitude at first. Get that mindset going. Then second, ask for God's grace to see as he sees. This is really important. Spend a moment preparing your mind to view the day as he sees it from his perspective, okay? Now, this may take a few moments to, to do, okay? But help him, so ask God's help to look upon all things and especially looking at you with the attitude of love 
and grace. Ask God for that gift to look at you and your day in the attitude of love and grace. Now, it's going to take some time because we, we, we tend to look at our world or we look at our day or we look at our lives in a very negative bent. Did you know something like 70 to 75% of, of the words expressed out of your mouth in a day are negative? It's a lot. And that's where our minds are, in a negative direction. And the third part, review the day. And that's the longest part. So just think of it like playing a movie back in your head. Press the button and, 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 and let it, your day run through your head from start to finish, from the time you got up to the time you got to bed. Um, but as you do that, notice things along the way. Oh, by the way, what I'm giving you right now is a handout that you can pick up on your way out. So you don't have to worry about taking notes. Just sit back and listen, all right? But, but play the tape of your day and notice things along the way. Notice things that made you smile. Think through the day. What made you smile? What made you laugh? Notice how you cooperated with God as, as a channel of his love to someone else. Try to recall everything. I mean, try to recall everything. Sights and sounds and tastes and smells and textures and conversations, etc., Again, remember that smile of a child, the great conversation with a friend or colleague, the beauty of a sunset, the joy of exercising. Remember even the, 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 the sensation of smelling your first cup of coffee in the morning or something you, you, you tasted that was good that day. How many, I'm serious now, how many of us eat without even noticing the gift? The gift of eating, the joy we can experience with it. We eat so fast. I mean, there's no joy in that, right? As Christians, and I really mean this, this is the habit I want to try to develop, at least in me. I don't want to isolate even my eating and drinking coffee from my spiritual life. I don't want even there to be a division between those things, however mundane that may look. I want to find God and God's blessings in all things. Now, let me say something crucial here. Don't just look at your actions, look into them. Look beneath them as you recall the day. You know, personally, I, I, I have this personality that tends towards overlooking a lot, overlooking my real emotional experience in the moments. For example, I, I, often, I often overlook the fact that I'm really upset or anxious or have these other negative uh, feelings or moods going on in my heart and mind. I tend to play them down immediately and push them back in order to, I don't know, finish a task or get through an unpleasant situation or maybe uh, smooth over a rupture in a relationship. And that might be okay. That might even be necessary in that moment. But if I don't return to those moments, if I don't re return to those emotions, what I end up doing is cutting off God's transformational work in my emotional world. And that's where we mostly suffer. And then I remain stunted as a Christian. So don't just remember the tough meeting you had with a client. Look at what were you thinking, what were you feeling with that client? Don't just remember the rift that you had with your friend or spouse or child. But let God show you something about that incident as you review it. Can you perhaps now see that it was actually their, their critique, their words, were actually God's invitation to you to face something about yourself? It was the opportunity for you to face something off in your character or maybe your attitude or something off in your life. Can you see that it was actually a divine opportunity for transformation? If you never go back to it and ponder it, it is squandered. Or when you had that extra glass of wine, was that really to relax? 
Or is it really to numb something that you can't handle or that you're avoiding? Why did you reach for that? You know, I found if I review my day, I remember people, I remember people that I, I barely noticed and blew right past in the comings and goings of my day. And here's the thing. As I remember them, I start to pray for them. So, for example, last week, last week, um, I'm going through the prayer of the examine, and I remember when I got my hair cut because I'm going through my day. Oh, yeah, I got my hair cut, so I remember the lady who cut my hair. And, in fact, I remember the lady sitting next to me. I remember her hair cutter. And then later on in the day, I had a meeting with a guy downtown, and I remember this guy in a wheelchair that's very crippled, and he tried to squeeze and get around me, and I had to move. And then her, his caregiver was right behind him. And I remembered them, who I blew right by, I ignored, didn't even talk to. And so you know what happened? God put it in my heart to pray for them. I prayed for my hair cutter. I prayed for that hair cutter. I prayed for that lady who didn't shut up. I prayed, I prayed and asking me personal questions. And I don't know you, lady. Why are you asking me that, you know? But... Um, but I prayed for the guy in the wheelchair. I prayed for his caregiver. I have no idea if they've ever been prayed for in their life, but because I pondered and I reflected and I took account of my day, they were prayed for. I'm not a hero. I'm just saying that's what can happen. So just, you know, remembering can lead us into ministry. It can lead us into intercession. All right, that's, that's the longest part. Ask for forgiveness, grace, and strength. This is where you're going to deal with those times, places, and moments where you found yourself resisting or ignoring God, ignoring his gifts or opportunities to move further up into greater fullness of life. And here you're also asking for God's grace and strength maybe to set things right with him, but also set, right, set things right with others. And finally, you look at the day forward uh, that's ahead of you. Look at the day ahead of you. Just sit for a minute and play it out a bit. What do you anticipate for the day? How might you react to this or that person or that event or that meeting? Ask in advance for the, the ability to be more aware of God's guidance, of his grace, of his wisdom for the day. So you see what I'm saying? That's the prayer of the examine. Now, talking to you about the prayer of the examine is like teaching you how to ride a bike. I can describe a bike. I can show a bike. I can get on the bike. But how do you learn how to ride a bike? You get on the bike. Okay? So how are you going to learn this prayer? You're going to do it with me right now. There's this website called Pray As You Go. And it is a great website. It has like five, six, I think seven different versions of the examined prayer. Some are eight minutes. Some go 25 minutes. You know, there's all kinds of ways. And so I want you now to stop listening to me and listen to God. So I want you to just close your, close your eyes for a second here. Sit up attentively. Don't slouch. And I know this is really dangerous this late at night to put you right to sleep with a slow meditation, but make it a spiritual discipline to be attentive to God. Be attentive to your breathing slowly, very slowly. And as you're sitting there breathing slowly, remember again that right here, right now, God is at work drawing us into the fullness of life. I hope that there were some things that surprised you. Did you notice something in your meditation time that you didn't notice until now? Did you recall something that you blew right by? Did you bring it to prayer? Did you bring it to consideration with God? You know, I certainly did. And when I went to Thanksgiving, I was thanking God for my administrative assistant, Leslie Paez, because without her, I can do nothing. Um, 
And I was thinking, you know, for friendships that I have here in this church and, and, and on and on and on and where I felt distance from God, where I felt close to God, all those kinds of things. And um, so I hope that was, that was good for you. You know, that was actually in an 11-minute meditation. It didn't seem, oh, maybe for you it went by. But for me, it went by so quickly. So try this out maybe just once a week. I'm, I'll encourage you to try it out once a week during, during Lent. You know, you don't have to do it once a week, but try it out once a week. If you kind of like it, do it twice a week. Maybe do it on a Monday when you start your week and then do it like on a Friday or Saturday after you finish your week. Um, but, but give it a shot, and I think it, you'll find a great help. Now, in a couple of minutes, um, we're going to begin our Lenten season with the Eucharist. And as I mentioned before, it's a Greek word for Thanksgiving. And um, we're also going to have the impartation of ashes. And the ushers can come forward now if they'd like. Um, what's going to happen, we're going to do it like this. The, 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 the ushers are going to dismiss you by rows to come down here um, in, in the center, I guess, and, um, and to receive. Someone's going to be standing with the bread. Somebody's going to be standing with the wine or juice. Uh, and then somebody's going to be standing with the ashes. Those of you who want gluten-free... Bread, please come up first. I don't care where you're sitting. Just come up first so you can receive the gluten bread. Um, of course, if you can't come up at all, wave at us and we'll come over and uh, the ushers will help you out. For those of you who, uh, so what you're going to do is you're going to take the bread and you're, and you're going to dip it in the, in the juice and, and, and then you'll go over if you want. Now, you don't have to do this, but if you would like to receive the ashes uh, after you receive the communion elements, just make your way over to the person holding the ashes. And, but if you don't want to do it, hey, there's no obligation. Nobody's going to look at you funny if you don't want to do it. Just do as this, what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Um, don't feel obligated. But what, what, what you can do after you take the bread and you, and you dip it in the juice there um, is uh, you can eat it right there on the spot. You don't have to wait for any further instructions. You can just eat it right there on the spot or you can take it back in your hand and sit down for a while and continue to remember your day or just deal with God in some other way, in some other reflective way and eat it at your leisure, okay? Um, and then later on after we finish, uh, we're going to come back together and, and sing together, um, of course, if you need to leave, please, you know, that's okay. Um, if you'd like to leave, uh, don't worry about sticking around for the last song. Um, but anyway, for now, so just kind of like for a moment of science here, let's prepare ourselves for um, the, the reception of the bread and the wine and also for the ashes. Uh, ashes. And, and in that time, just, just as we sit here quietly, just ask the Lord, what is it, Lord, that you're asking of me this Lenten season? What is he asking of you? And on the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is broken for you. Remember me when you eat of it. Then he took also the cup um, and of wine and he said, this is the blood of my blood that represents the new covenant that I'm making with my life and death. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of it and drink of it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you are ready to come up and receive the elements, just follow the usher's lead uh, to bring up. And don't forget the, the gluten the gluten-free, if you want gluten-free bread, please come up first, okay? Just come right up in the front here to this side, okay? If you want gluten-free, all right?
So as we play some music in the background here, reflect on, Lord, what is it that you want me to do to change during this Lenten season? Um, But I encourage you that after we finish, that you would leave in a meditative manner, in a respectful manner, in a sober manner, as we enter now into this season of Lent, and again, reflecting on why we still need the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our lives. Um, But before we sing that last song, receive this blessing. If you're able, please stand with me. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and fill you. And may he give you the ability to see how he is inviting you into greater fullness of life with him. So that in the big things and in the small things, so that in everything, God is glorified through you. We pray this and we thank you, Jesus, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.